Welcome to another episode of Chapter Surfing. I am your host, Lenny Burnham, and this time we are once again talking about JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. This time we're going to be talking about season one, and uh, for the anime or for the manga, we're going to be talking about uh, part two, which is most of season one. And my guest is uh, my House of House co-host, Andrew Taven. Hello, thanks for having me into your house of house of <laughs> chapter surfing. Uh, house of TV shows based on books, very catchy title. Yes. We, uh, um, yeah, this is the, my second time because I was on the flight attendant one, which now is uh, well into season two. So I don't know if you, yeah. uh, if you ever want to have a revisit, Marty. Hell yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's pretty presumptuous of me to assume this will go well. <laughs> You think that this is going to be the episode that ends our podcasting together? Yeah, this is all. (laughs) I think that would be a great, great listen for people if we got podcast divorced in this episode. There would be. We'd have to, I think we should, we should have planned this out and we can have a podcast reunification and we can make a whole (laughs) season of it. Get back together for sweeps. Hell yeah. Um, So Andrew, tell me your whole kind of backstory with JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Give me the the timeline. Yes. So I, a few years ago, uh, pre-pandemic, so it was probably 2018 um, uh, or maybe 2019, I started watching JoJo from the beginning. Um, You know, the new, because there's like the old anime that they did of part three, but I think most Mm -hmm. people probably uh, knew what I meant and I'm wasting time. Um, yeah, I heard, I've definitely heard there's a lot of shows, but it seems like everyone has an agreement about, like, what's the JoJo's yeah, show. Because like. then, because they did one of part three, and then they started doing, for this David production started doing from part one onwards in the last, like, decade. So, uh, I started from the beginning. I actually had a tough time with, like, the first episode of Phantom Blood, part one. Mm-hmm. Because I was like, oh, no, this seems kind of dull. And there are people who say, like, you should there, – there's a lot of people, I think, who are like, oh, just skip ahead till the stands come in, which you already saw part four, so you're aware mm-hmm. of that whole concept. Um, but I think it's better to just go from the beginning because uh, part one's probably the least – even – I don't think it's bad, but I think it's the least, like, nutso – it's still kind of nutso. It's, I mean, there's a lot of nutso stuff, but it's like, you know, compared to Battle Tendency, there's a lot less just outright absurd things happening. And then once you have the stands, the stands, I think it's good those get introduced because as you probably sort of realize by the end of part two, you kind of have seen all you can with Hamon as like mm-hmm. a power ability because it's pretty much... Just like, oh, well, what if I hit a different object infused with Hamon? And that's sort of just <laughs> like, well, what's he going to hide Hamon in this time? Um, yeah, so I, I started watching. I watched uh, all the way through part four, and then part five came out, and I watched that. And then uh, part six is now, like, they're split, you know, however however Netflix is doing it. Netflix is, like, I think paying to have, to help produce part six. Um, mm-hmm. So that's airing, airing. That's being released in random chunks at bizarre intervals now. 
and uh, that's what I'm watching. And I've actually never read it until now. So I hadn't read okay. it at all until uh, for this podcast, read uh, Battle Tendency, which I watched a couple years ago. So I, um, like I said, I watched that a few years ago. So I, uh, you know, I, I rewatched the first few episodes just to kind of be like, okay, you know, get back into uh, seeing some of the differences. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I'm glad you went about it in a different order than me so we can have sort of the contrast. Um, Because I I did, as listeners know, uh, just do Diamond is Unbreakable. um, Because when Lizandri wanted to guest, uh, they just sort of like described each season and were like, pick the best, the one that sounds the best. And um, like, in some ways, I think that was, good because diamond is unbreakable gave me a really good impression of the series Mm -hmm. but on the other hand i feel like that probably made me like this a lot less Mm -hmm. because like i feel like it's probably better to start from the beginning and then be pleasantly surprised when it gets really good as opposed to being like why isn't this as interesting as diamond is unbreakable i definitely think it gets better as it goes i'd say my like quick uh assessment is i think phantom blood is quick but just i don't know it's not i i it's fine i think it's okay um i think battle tendency is a nice uh change from phantom blood because after you have jonathan joestar whose like character traits are that he's like not just noble but also brave and then joseph uh who keeps appearing you know through the next couple parts also as he gets progressively older and more demented um is like you know brash and rude and a nice contrast after you saw someone who was just so principled and he's just you know, fleeing and tricking people and being mean to girls. And uh, then you've got um, part three, which I think has a, is longer, has a lot of big highlights, but also is like, it's by far the longest part, at least of the ones I've seen that have been animated. But it's got like, it sort of falls into like a monster of the week, stand of the week fight thing for a little while that sort of can feel less momentous and then yeah i mean part four i think is a lot of people's favorites uh i like part five a lot i think the first two-thirds of part five might be my favorite and i feel it kind of falls apart and i'm liking part six a lot so far so yeah you got you mostly get i think you mostly get better and better as you go yeah i think like part four what i felt was a good one to sort of be an introduction because it is I thought like by far of what I've seen like the best at just being a tv show and it's very like meta of the week it's like Smallville or The Flash or something um which I think is easier uh to watch than like uh season one I felt the pacing was just so weird and it would sort of like set up something where you're like oh okay this is the show and then it would do like completely something else yeah, it's definitely, it feels, um, you know, as you go, I think the uh, season four is definitely also the one that I think has probably the best characterization of they feel like, you know, people and you feel like their relationships to each other build pretty well. Um, and as you know, you see more people around the town and they kind of uh, incorporated. I think 
This one, um, it's it the first. I think it's it feels more like a spectacle kind of than a. Well, it's almost like the Ryan Murphy of um, <laughs> of uh, JoJo, where it's like even though they're all made by the same guy, it's like. Uh, sort of just all right well what's the wildest thing that can happen now okay well what's the wildest thing that can happen now okay well now what's the wildest thing <laughs> and um just sort of building on that uh it's also like they're probably some of the oh, i don't really like the villain of part five that much you'll we'll get there eventually but <laughs> right but um uh pillarmen are kind of weaker villains than dia oh and i think weaker villains mm-hmm. than kira um just because kira is like a fun fun i mean it was a, i i like that he's got a much different motivation than a lot of the other villains who are all kind of different flavors of wanting to dominate the world mm-hmm. but D- and then dio is just you know such a great just really archetypical <laughs> villain and then the pillar men are like, I don't know, fine, I guess. They, it, they're they less interesting. It might be one of the only instances where the JoJo, to me at least, is more interesting than the villain they're fighting, mm. like as a character. I think that's a fair estimation. Um, the villain in part six, you care if I tell you what, at least from what I've seen, the... <laughs> the villain's motivation in part six is go for it uh he wants to go to real life heaven he's just <laughs> like I, I heaven is i i know now heaven is real and i have i don't know exactly how the plot works out but he's like and i want to go to heaven not like you know oh some kind of metaphor like no real heaven and i want to go <laughs> um, that's fair i'd want to go if i found out that was real yeah I think um that seems fair. <laughs> uh like apologies to people who've read the manga and you get like past one third and it's like no that's not really what okay that's i've only seen what's on netflix right now (laughs) oh yeah i was gonna say um i mean i think the season four villain is so great because like it's truly chilling to want to like be a middle level manager (laughs) the fact that his whole goal is like i'm gonna go to work and be normal at my cubicle is like (laughs) yeah i'm going to uh my aspirations are to yeah maintain uh, adequate performance in my career <laughs> and then uh, go home. I have my hobbies outside of work. So, you know, that's fine. That's all I need. Uh, yeah, that's the, um, and this one, I, cause I watched, when I started reading it, like I was like, okay, there's definitely stuff I remember differently. It turns out I was right. Like some of the stuff in the beginning, uh, the manga is very at least the translation i read because that's always the thing you know it's tough Mm -hmm. to know exactly i do not speak japanese (laughs) um the manga translation is like a lot more explicit early on about so do we need a summer i don't know if people if there's an expectation i guess to what degree should we summarize what happens or jojo in its entirety what what do you think i mean i know Alexandria, when they did the episode, felt like uh, we should really explain everything. I personally feel like people probably skip to episodes for stuff they have watched. Probably. Um, 
Or at the very least, if you're listening to every chapter surfing, I feel like you've made peace with the fact sure. that you won't understand everything. I think it's, I mean, the e- I'm trying to think what the easiest way to explain JoJo's bizarre adventures would be. I think it's, um, it's like on a basic level, right? It's about this family lineage and they're, you know, each part they is like very different and they're fighting some villain for the most part. And, uh with different kinds of powers and the first two parts it's pretty much uh people who can use a form of karate that mostly sucks except against vampires but the good thing is they're fighting vampires so that works out uh and then the other ones uh, part three onwards everyone has stands which are like you know guys who can fight for you like your own personal pokemon person (laughs) <laughs> who has like a very specific ability um which in part three i mean you you said you start with part four part three like the stands are like overwhelmingly like you know more eh, they start introducing weird things too but they're mostly battle like fighting mm. guys and then as you go on you know you get weirder abilities um but this one it's just i the the pillar men who are the villains of part two or you know they're the ones who created the mask that make the vampires and they've been sleeping for thousands of years and they can they're just mostly really tough to kill and one of they have different elemental powers and uh but they're weak to hama which is just light that you can infuse into stuff and then you're like aha i put hormone in that and they're like ah damn it <laughs> i was sorry I, I thought you wouldn't um and, a bun- and I think one of the hallmarks of JoJo is, like, the fights are all, uh, they theoretically make sense to someone who has never existed as a human <laughs> with our, like, perceptions of the world as it is. Uh, but otherwise, you get stuff, like, early on, it's one of my favorite, like, early on, there's, like, multiple moments of sort of jojo fight logic where uh it's where like stuff time doesn't really make any sense and distance doesn't really make any sense (laughs) and everyone can calculate bizarre like three-dimensional billiard trick shots with everything they do to be like oh you threw that salt shaker at me but little did you know that five minutes ago i bank shotted the pepper shaker (laughs) off the back wall and now it's coming around and it's going to hit you and like and very much based off what needs to be in that moment either do almost nothing or kill you instantly (laughs) (laughs) which are really like the two modes um and they tend to have someone narrating what exactly you're looking at uh and like early on they have um this you know it's in new york because it's been this ain't this ain't your daddy's jojo because like i said Mm -hmm. the the first part he's like real respectful and whatever um and that one kind of has less of the two i think is where you really get into the kind of jojo nonsense battle logics Mm -hmm. i feel like part one is mostly just no there is some weird like a lot of it's like kind of based in science or trivia but stuff that doesn't seem right but you just say, sure, why not? Like, in part <laughs> one, there's a part where he's like, 
oh, I need to, he's, like, stuck underwater, and he's, like, I need to swim further down to find, like, an air bubble, like, in Sonic, <laughs> and, like, inhale that instead of swimming up. But otherwise, I feel like it's more straightforward. And then in part two from the very first one, you've got stuff like uh, him fighting this gangster who looks like Wario, who's really racist, and he's, like, punch he comes to punch him and he's like oh you thought that's me you were punching you were punching this coat stand as <laughs> though like at, after the first punch this guy wouldn't be like oh shit i'm punching a coat stand um or they have straight so's a vampire who's also in part one as a good guy but then he turns bad and he like shoots eye what i thought were eye lasers and i'd forgotten it's much clearer in the reading. It can kind of pass you by. In the manga, it's very clear that they're not eye lasers, but rather like his iris opens up and shoots out a highly pressurized jet of fluid, which is <laughs> horrifying. But he yeah. launches that, and he seems to put a hole through Jojo, and he's like, ha-ha, I got you. And he's like, really? Look up. And he looks up at the clock, and it's backwards, and he's like, what? And he's like, you're looking at a mirror. I'm behind you. And it's like, that's not the first. <laughs> it's just so funny to me that you're like, the first indication that you're looking at a mirror <laughs> and that the person you thought you were looking at is standing behind you. You, I guess he's a – maybe he doesn't see him. I don't remember if they establish whether JoJo vampires can see themselves in the mirror. So he, They must for that to work. They must like. not be able to. Or else he would see himself. Oh, yeah, yeah, I guess so that, that is because he's a vampire. Yeah, yeah they, they kind of skip over that. So presumably he can't – I guess if you want to really give him credit. He has some line where he's like, you've been in Tibet too long. You forgot mirrors because <laughs> um, <laughs> he's been studying in Tibet or whatever. I guess if you really want to be generous, you could say, well, he's been in Tibet too long and he – hasn't acclimated to not seeing himself in the mirror so i guess that could be disorienting if you are looking at a mirror but you're not there you maybe wouldn't think of it that way but still that jojo at some point guts like behind him and is speaking you would hear from behind <laughs> you and you would like I, you don't see yourself okay that's a big thing that's that's i guess that's a big part of it but it's still very funny that the first indication that he's looking at the mirror would be that the clock is backwards which feels like again that kind of logic that goes from someone who has never been a human on earth or looked at a mirror that would be like how would a human determine they're looking in a mirror <laughs> of course if they saw a clock it'd be reversed and that's like mm -hmm. i kind of love that moon logic of it though you just have to kind of accept it and i can imagine for some people it might not be something they can get past but you just have to accept that like this is working with a very different understanding of physics and mortal perception than you're used to. Um, yeah. They have also, they do, I was going to say, so reading it, because I, the, the anime is much more, they have Smokey, who's his little friend, uh, who's like a black kid who steals his wallet in the beginning, and then some corrupt racist cops, like, beat him down, then JoJo beats them up. And the manga is, like, again, translation, I'm not sure, but, like, has the cops be much more explicitly racist, mm. which is interesting. Because the anime, they just are sort of like, you punk kid, we're going to get you. 
In the manga, they like explicitly are like, yeah, this little black kid, he shouldn't be running around. <laughs> and right. then uh, they all there's also a line where the cop in the manga flicks a booger onto JoJo's cheek. And then he, in the manga says, and just like it says in the Bible, when someone flicks a booger on your cheek, turn the cheek so they may, and then he hits him. But in this, he just says, you know what they say, a booger on the left cheek needs a... And I don't know if that was changed out of, like, concern that they didn't want to be ex- this explicitly political. I mean, they team up with a <laughs> Nazi at one point, which is definitely, I think, the most problematic aspect of this part of JoJo <laughs> is... Uh, Von Stroheim, the Nazi who uncovers the Pillar Men and then turns into a robo-Nazi who helps them beat the Pillar Men. And JoJo <laughs> is like, well, we might have different opinions. Me, an Englishman, and you, a Nazi. But we can <laughs> hang out together. And you're like, hmm, that's not ideal. Uh, and then at the end, yeah. Stro- yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say that's so interesting because uh, you just brought up how it like opens with him getting angry at racist cops and like beating them up so that is like a surprising direction but it's i guess they were like we want to really establish in the beginning that he's not racist. yeah his le- that's his lesson he learns that he was too harsh on racism it's like look some <laughs> racists help you out i mean it's they, i think they do have a theme they kind of want to that he's kind of going for of like because if you have you have the pillar men the main pillar men who he fights there's wamu cars and acdc and wamu and acdc are both like noble warriors even though they're serving this bad cause of become immortal and then like eat and or enslave all the humans um but they both are like willing to like Jojo realizes he can't beat them and they make like a deal to fight him in a month when he's stronger because they're like, oh, you're right. This isn't fair. You should have a chance. <laughs> and then Cars is like, says he's going to do a fair fight and then uh, is like, no, fuck that. Why would I do that? Um, which like he's correct. The other ones are like the, uh, you know, process liberals instead of uh, yeah. the ones who it's like, no, you gotta, you gotta stick to your goals. Um and so I think they're sort of trying to do a similar thing with Von Stroheim where they're like, well, you know, he's serving a bad cause, but at least he's a noble guy. And at the end, they're like, he died a hero's death on the fields of Stalingrad. And it's like, hmm. <laughs> it's, a, it's a real, oh, my uncle was at Auschwitz. He fell out of the tower or whatever, uh, the guard <laughs> tower. Um, Von Stroheim also, I do wonder if Iraqi knew that he was it kind there are times when you see where it feels like Iraqi does not necessarily know where he's going to get with something, um, and then he kind of changes part way through. There's without going into too much detail, like in part five, the villain's ability seems to shift in a meaningful way at some point without really being addressed. I think he just kind of changes his mind about how it works a little. <laughs> uh, in part so in this one it feels like if he knew that von stroheim was eventually going to become an ally he wouldn't have made him as cruel as he is in the beginning because he has him be not just like oh he's a nazi but he you know whatever like he like has a bunch of people they're in mexico a bunch of like mexican villagers that they took prisoner and they're gonna feed them to the pillar man and he's like 
someone volunteer or else we'll kill all of you. And one kid's like, I volunteer. And he's like, well, you're the only one who lives, which is like a horribly cruel thing to do to this kid. Right. Um, and he like, you know, creepily has at the beginning, he's introduced by having a woman is like shaving him and she accidentally cuts him. So he makes her lick the blood and then threatens to cut off her tongue. And you're like, this guy does not seem like someone who is being who the author realizes will later become <laughs> an ally or else you'd you'd be curious about why you would characterize him as such a vile person right yeah it's interesting from an adaptation perspective and um i haven't watched a lot of anime so you can tell me if this is like just how it is but like to me, it's interesting that the adaptation is, like, very clearly, like, you know, this is one guy who's just doing his thing each volume and will, like, drastically be inconsistent and change his mind. And, like, I would kind of expect a TV show to come in and be like, okay, we're going to take this mess and, like, make it into a show. But they very much approach it like, no, people want us to do the manga. <laughs> like, we're just going to do the manga. It's very, yeah. I think that is definitely, uh, from what I've seen, because I have, so I've seen... I would say a pretty good chunk of anime. I have not, and I'm still doing so. Um, <laughs> and not kicked the habit, uh, but have really not read much manga. So I, I can't say for certain. It is my understanding that things are kept pretty one to one. If anything, there's my. I mean, I. I there are some like very. It's when there are major differences it tends to be pretty well known like in uh one of the most well-known examples is in uh full metal alchemist they started before the manga was finished and when it hits the point where it gets up to it goes in a completely different direction like there's a different villain the nature of the world is different everything is just completely different um and then, uh, then, then they later did an adaptation once the manga was done that kept the manga pretty closely. And, um, and then there was a series, Promised Neverland, which, like, just kind of very badly skipped a bunch of stuff to people from my understanding of it. All I can say is I watched the first season, and it was very good. And I watched the second and final season, and it was very bad. And it <laughs> seems like they cut out everyone's favorite stuff, and then... They just have the actual resolution to the story happen in a montage as they're like, <laughs> and then gradually over the next few years, we sort of figured stuff out and, uh, you know, it all works out. Um, so I, I do think they keep pretty closely. The only, I think one of the only differences I know is it's funny cause you mentioned, uh, how people, uh, misleadingly, imply that it's very gay and in like a non uh in a non-metaphorical way i think it's not until the fifth part the fifth part anime does have a like outright straightforward gay couple um but i think i haven't read the manga of that but i think i have heard that that is only maybe implied if that in the manga whereas it's uh explicit so they do and i think there are some other instances where they will add a few things but for the most part they keep 
pretty, pretty, you know, committed. Um, I'm sure there's probably some stuff here and there. And like I said, I don't, I mean, I think this one, it's, it's pretty one-to-one. Looking back, there's a couple things where, uh, you know, where it's some wording or some lines might be altered. Um, there's also like, you know, the when they have the chance to have fun with stuff, like what is called the dubstep, uh, when cars transforms into the ultimate being and it plays like a dubstep track as he's like assimilating animals into his body, um, which, you know, they couldn't do in the manga. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I do think it, it keeps pretty close. I mean, it is interesting because you said that, that, you know, a lot of adaptations and in the flight attendant, there are some pretty significant changes, which I remember yeah. we discussed. I, I was like surprised given that I thought that the flight attendant and still continue to think as it goes is like fine. I don't think it's particularly great, but I was surprised to find that the book, in my opinion, was significantly worse. Yeah. <laughs> um, like the, sort of struggles to be a – I'm sure Chris Bajalian has written like 90 airport thrillers, and this was probably like 80 – number. 74 or whatever and you just get tired you probably get these down to a science where you have like i don't know you're like all right you throw a dart at the board and you're like i'm writing about a archaeologist who solves a kidnapping and then you like email someone at you know columbia archaeology department and you email like a kidnapping expert and you just (laughs) are like send me seven pages worth of everything you know and then you have, like, you just sort of copy and paste that into all the parts in between the plot where you say random details about things. <laughs> and then you're like, uh, okay, special thanks to so-and-so at Columbia Archaeology Department. So-and-so, without their knowledge, this book never could have been. And then you're like, and print. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you got, like, eight of those going at once. But, um, yeah, I, I will say, though, I think for the most part, for direct comic book adaptations, there aren't that many direct um, Western direct graphic novel interpretations compared to, like, you know, a Marvel or a DC. This is Batman. This is, right? They I feel like Marvel and DC, like, you can pick, like, okay, Dark Knight Rises was, like, sort of Nightfall, but it's mostly not. I don't know if you ever read Nightfall. No. Have you seen Dark Knight Rises? Mm-hmm. Dark Knight Rises is like the one with – or Dark Nightfall is like the one with Bane. But instead of having like a bunch of random dudes, he like frees all of Batman's previous villains from uh, Arkham. And so Batman's like getting tired, like fighting every villain in the city over the course of a night. And then Bane's able to break his back and stuff. So it's like – the same kind of concept but it's very much not an adaptation directly but then when you have something like watchmen where like Zack snyder to it to its detriment i would say kind of tries to film each frame frame by frame put it up on the screen and then just has a couple weird changes that make it worse not even the thing that people think about (laughs) Yeah, I remember listening to a podcast years ago before I started this one um, the, where the host was talking about adaptation 
and was saying like he used to get mad when you know that they changed stuff um when he watched stuff and like the thing that changed his mind was he watched 300 and it was like he came out being like oh that didn't like have to exist yeah Uh (laughs) exactly that's the sort of thing where you see it and you're like and that is the interesting thing with anime and manga that i do you know there are anime that are original or they're anime that are also based off of light novels, which to my understanding, I don't – it's a term that people only apply to a Japanese novel. I don't think there are like – I mean it's probably also like probably like Korean light novels just because – but like light novel – well, just, just – okay. So the definition according to Wikipedia, a light novel is a style of Japanese young adult novel primarily targeting high school and middle school students. So I, it's what we would call a young adult mm. book, right, in the West. Um, so they, I think there are anime that are adaptations of light novels, and there are anime that are adaptations of video games. But I think – and there are some totally original anime. But for the most part – and I could be wrong, but I'm – pretty sure they are overwhelmingly adaptations of manga and as you said that hue pretty close to the manga which is just not really a thing as much here like you don't really have like we have a jillion comic book adaptations but it's not like someone's like oh we did a spider-man tv show it's an adaptation of amazing spider-man's issues one through 200 right like Right, yeah, like, uh, if I was adapting JoJo's, like, with my mindset about it, I would, like, look at that and then be like, okay, what's the show here? Like, for example, like, uh, I feel like when Dio and Jonathan are in high school and he's like, I think Dio's my friend, but something makes me think maybe he's not. To me, it's like, yeah, that's the show. Like, Gossip Girl, but with Charles and Magneto also being insane to each other. Yeah. Um, But instead, it's like that... uh, It's like The author totally brushes past that and just, like, keeps the story going. Yeah, which is, I mean, it is interesting, right? Because part four is much more like structured like and i assume having not read the manga and you did i assume it's similar where it's pretty one-to-one but part four is like the one that feels more like a tv show in the sense that you have these characters they're introduced they sort of do different things the plot moves but they also hang around you have an episode you know where they're just like oh in this episode Josuke is gonna like uh, fool Rohan with his uh, weird transforming friend. Um, <laughs> that are just these more self-contained episodes, which uh, part one and part two don't have at all. Part three has some. It's still always because part three is like a uh, kind of a travel log where they have to get to Egypt from Japan, and so they're always moving towards that. But it's. Um, but there are some like more self-contained episodes. Um, yeah, and then part five is also not at all self. Those are all like really just one thing to the next thing. Um, yeah, I mean it is. It's just it's uh, I, it does feel like a very different approach because like I mean books to TV shows, and I assume it's one reason why you started the podcast tends because it tends to be that. 
there's not enough material to sustain a Hollywood appetite for a TV show, right? You, If you adopt, like... So I haven't... I've seen... Liz was watching you. Not you, but you. There was, I still don't know if that Fox News clip is real or fake. I... I <laughs> I kind of just want it to be real. There's one where they do like a, I don't know if you saw that on Twitter, they do like a yeah, who's yeah. on first. Yeah, with the vaccine thing. Um, and it's uh, like, I have, you, you, you got to hand it to them if it is, if it was staged, because everyone believed in, loved it, and it worked out. But um, like, I don't, I haven't read you, but, or seen much of you, but I assume that you is probably like the first season like they probably don't find ways to keep like relocating him after he murders someone and put him in a new life i'm guessing yeah, that, well that one actually is a little closer because the book did get a sequel oh okay so i think so. actually season two is pretty close to book two i haven't read the second book yet okay um, but uh yeah so that one is closer but yeah stuff like um Pretty Little Liars and Gossip Girl, both of those, the first book is the pilot of the show, which is insane. (laughs) That's wild, yeah. So that's the kind of thing where it's just such a different approach. And again, because we really don't, we, the, like I said, graphic novels get adapted, and then the concept of comics, of a comic character and their villains gets adapted. Yeah, like it's such a it's such a different um approach because like with um like we were talking about anime doing the manga so directly and I feel like with comics it feels like they really um the fans like really expect to be surprised. Like they yeah. want it to be like it's just like so weird whenever you read it it'll be like this is going to be taking this story about the riddler but the surprise twist is that he turns out to be harley quinn and you're like what? yeah yeah <laughs> where it's like you want something you want the moment you you it's weird because you want it and you don't want it like you want like yeah spider-verse like you saw uh spider-verse the animated one right mm-hmm. um in spider-verse like it turns out that like oh, there's this evil scientist lady, and you're like, oh, she's alternate universe Dr. Ock. And you're like, and it, it does, this also gets to something. That I was having this discussion with someone uh, over Slack, and I was saying, I think it's it almost is unfair to the Marvel movies to evaluate them as movies when they're not trying to be movies. In the sense that, like, did you see uh, Multiverse of Madness? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I don't know how much we want to avoid spoilers. I don't have. I won't talk specifically, maybe. But there's a 40 minute chunk where it's like a theoretical producer. If you had imagined, like, okay, Doctor Strange didn't exist, and someone's writing, uh, there's one Doctor Strange movie. It it it's about this surgeon, and he crashes his car, and he has to learn from Tilda Swinton how to be magic. And he fights an evil villain. And you're like, the original characters, original story, or best adapt, best original screenplay nomination, Doctor Strange, about a strange doctor that's never existed. And then you're like, all right, I'm writing the sequel. Uh, it's a two-hour movie, thank goodness. It's, it's of a reasonable length. And for 40 minutes, he talks to these people who I'm going to uh, introduce, like, six new characters, and they're all going <laughs> to die, and then he's going to leave. And if you, like, 
give it to a producer, they'd be like, well, cut this. Why is that there? Why don't yeah. you, you know, if you need like an alternate universe person, you already established this Wong guy. You could just have alternate universe Wong try and stop him because, you know, you're doing whatever this multiverse thing. But I am sure when they wrote, when they came up with that, they were like, this is the best thing. This is what's going to make right. people's minds get blown that we have these six characters who you need to have outside knowledge for. And not even knowledge of, oh, well, hey, we're going to go see Doctor Strange 2. Do you want to come? Do I have to see the first one? Eh, I don't know. You'll probably be fine. You need knowledge of stuff with nothing to do with the first Doctor Strange movie. <laughs> it's not even like – like I know some people speculated that like, oh, well, when they get to the next phase, it'll allow them to you know, scale back a bit now for a while. But instead they just made every movie a crossover, which – is not inherently a bad business decision. I can't, and the and the reason why I say it's almost unfair to evaluate them as movies because it's like, is it a bad artistic decision? Well, if you were trying to make a movie, yes. If you are trying to make this bus that you can kind of hop on and hop off, you know, in different locations, and the bus is going to keep moving, and you can be like. Oh, shoot, I'm getting back on the bus, but I missed a couple stops. I'm just going to check my phone. Oh, that's cool. Okay, that's good to know beforehand. All right, getting on the bus. For That's what they're trying to do. It's fine. It does a good job. Like, I would have – I enjoyed that stuff in Doctor Strange too. Were you – not even like, oh, I've seen – oh, I'll be fine. I've seen all the Marvel movies. Like, no, you need to, to fully appreciate it. You have to have seen – previous superhero movies before this was a shared universe and like you I have to see the lowest rated marvel show ever made which aired on abc one summer yeah I, I, which I, I did yeah hey well then you probably enjoyed it on a deeper level <laughs> um i watched it with liz we watched doctor strange she saw the first doctor strange she's seen like most of the marvel movies probably we saw them together she saw the first doctor strange She'd never seen – can I say, like, do we – are people listening going to, like, I don't know, spoilers for JoJo and for <laughs> Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, right? I, I'm at the point where I'm not, like uh, – Yeah, I mean, this is going to come out a while from now. I, okay. I think it's fine. Go ahead. She's like, you know, did Patrick Stewart comes in as Doctor X. For, like, mm -hmm. Professor X, Dr. X. Alternate universe, he's doctor. That's <laughs> where he went as God's MD. Um, as Professor X for five minutes, and then he gets killed. And she's like, oh, so he has, like, mind powers or whatever. I'm like, yeah, he can, like, read people's minds. And she just does. She didn't see those. She had, like, no connection to it. And and that's just such a wild thing to, to be like. It's not an Easter egg. An Easter egg would be, like, you know oh uh if you've read the doctor strange comics you like the, okay literally whatever her face um at the end uh it's not nicole kidman is it it's um oh Charlize theron Charlize theron thank you i was like i know it's not nicole kidman Charlize theron comes in i didn't really know who she is i looked up oh okay she's someone else and i figured she's someone i mean i don't know these like super well um I heard she's someone, but it's not like that where you're like, oh, okay, I'll go home and Google who that is. It's a character in the middle of the movie who's introduced with this fanfare, and it's just like, well, if you you either have this outside knowledge or this is a weird thing to happen in this movie, but 
but you just expect it. And people, even people who aren't, you know, it's obviously most of you haven't read comics. Most of the people are like gonna go home and they're gonna Google Vox explain, you know, Vox's like who were those three guys who showed up at the end of Eternals or whatever, and read it and be like, cool, that's a thing, and they're fine with it because they don't expect a movie, which is okay because that's what, and that's kind of what comic book adaptations are now even more so than which is i guess sorry, I, yeah. you've, you've been saying this so long can i just jump in with my response to it now i don't know i think i probably said my point and i'm still going on so sorry um but yeah i agree um we like my friend got into an argument on Reddit where I'm still like, oh, you like I'm still mad on her behalf because I'm like, you were right spiritually. Mm-hmm. Um, where other Loki fans were predicting who the villain would be, and she was like, like fuck no, like it's not gonna be this random person who's never appeared before who has no emotional connection to Loki because yeah. that would be a terrible ending to yeah. a season of a TV show. And then that was it, and um. Yeah, that's exactly it is like they're not appealing to people who want TV shows. They're like appealing to like those people on Reddit. And um and like an interesting thing I was talking about with that same friend uh that I realized is like they do this thing where the first few episodes really do seem like a TV show and I realized it's because it's the episodes that critics watch. Mm, so like critics yeah. see the opening of WandaVision or Loki and are like, oh, like this is a TV show. Yeah. And then immediately after those first few, it's like, okay, we're going to explain if everyone was blipped and we're going to have, yeah, yeah, we're going to yeah. talk about like who could defeat, uh, not Ultron, not Thanos. Yeah. Yeah. And Dr. Jinder, like when our universe is Thanos, and it's like, Again, not even, oh, I guess I'm lost because I didn't see the first Doctor Strange movie, and this is a sequel to the first Doctor Strange movie. Like, No, I'm lost because I didn't see the other five movies that this is referring to. And it's not even like a— And it's it's like not even tangible things you could have watched, uh, like, you know, the X-Men movies. It's also like— you have to know that like fans wanted this specific casting to happen yeah. so that you can be like, wow, they did the casting that fans wanted, which is so weird. If that, did fans want the cast? Is this, are we just say, all right, did fans want John Krasinski as? I think so, right? I mean, I that might have been like a weird like psyop type thing. I could not take, that's part of his CIA roles. Is yeah, because that, yeah, that was like the biggest reaction in my theater, which is so weird. And I feel, I feel like I, of all people, should think it's cool that the biggest reaction was, like, a network sitcom guy showing up. <laughs> like It feels uh, like a—it felt like so a joke, weird. which is fine. I appreciate it as a joke. If they actually are like, and Reed Richards is going to be, like, uh, uh, John Krasinski, I'd be like, oh, well, that seems—like, that works as a joke for this, like, brief moment— I don't think that's good casting. <laughs> like, I don't think... Yeah. I mean, I think it was... I did think it worked in the movie that, like, they brought back all these, like, dumb cameos and then, yeah. like, killed them horribly. Like, I think yeah. that was what made it good for me. I don't know about for other people, for people who wanted they that sh- casting. They should have... John Krasinski should have turned to camera while she's, like, ripping apart his allies, Adam from Adam, and be like... Mm. <laughs> 
it's it's uh yeah i i mean i like that casting because you need someone if you're going to do that in that capacity in that moment you need i think you really need someone who you who you actually are like slapped in the face by being like what that's <laughs> bizarre and that is what it does if they're going to be like and now he's reed richards i'd be like I no, I don't think for a whole movie I'm supposed to take this seriously for a whole movie. Like I'm supposed to be looking at John Krasinski, who has already established himself. I mean, I don't know. It Chris Pratt, all the other stuff about him, has done a good job of I think I think you believe him as an action hero. I haven't yeah. watched any and of I'm... the Jack Reacher goes to Venezuela movies <laughs> or whatever, but like I don't know. I don't think I could take it seriously. Yeah, and I think both Chris Pratt and Paul Rudd work because those characters aren't actually like that far from sitcom characters. It's yeah. like, yeah, that's just like a sitcom character who also has nice abs, but yeah, uh, that's a yeah, good point. I feel like John Krasinski is like too serious. No. Yeah. I mean, and so it is, it is interesting to ask. Uh, I, 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 so reading Joe, like I said, JoJo's was part two is kind of the first manga I've really read, even though I've watched so much anime, I just don't see the point. And I have, you know, people will tell you, I do, if you're like, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, waiting for them to release the rest of uh, JoJo's or this uh, the next season of Demon Slayer, this or that. They'll be like, well, you could just read the manga. And it's like, no, I don't want to do – I mean, there's the, J- John, the Jim Gaffigan yeah. joke where they're like, oh, the book was much better. And he goes, really? The thing I liked about the movie was that I didn't have to read. <laughs> yeah, the – it is weird – um, cause I heard that one of the big reasons they like make the anime is to sell the manga more, which like in hmm. a way makes sense, but also it just feels, yeah, it feels like there's like weirdly no point of it because like I enjoy, it's like the, the anime has everything that's in the manga and then also like cool animation and like yeah. cool soundtrack and stuff. So it's like very weird to like justify uh reading reading the manga it's sort of it's like there's nothing wrong with doing so but it does sort of feel like the reason a lot of times when i hear someone say they've read a manga something a lot of times who like doesn't otherwise read manga they'll be like oh you know well i got to the season the end of the season of the you know jujutsu kaisen and i like had to know what happened next so i got the manga and started reading that which is something you don't okay the the Best comparison off the top of my head I can think of for that is Game of Thrones, where there were definitely yeah, people. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. uh, the, the guest I had on the Game of Thrones episode, Jack Allison, told me that he actually didn't read, he, he eventually read it, but at first he skipped the first book because he watched the first season of the show and then was like, okay, I got to get to what happens next. So he started with the second book, which in retrospect, he was like, that was a terrible decision. I yeah. should not have done that. And, and it is interesting to me because to me someone says that and like no offense to anyone who does like to do that but i'm like no i don't no i just want to wait for the next season to come out like i don't want to like switch the way i'm taking this and sometimes people are like well but the books are so much better i'm like well then i wouldn't enjoy the tv show so yeah yeah it is interesting like that's one of the reasons i start every episode by talking about the order because i do think that really happens where um sometimes you watch the show and are just like oh this is just like a worse version of the book i'm not like interested in yeah and in this case i mean it's also 
I think one upside, at least of JoJo, also of it being animated, is there was like a there was apparently a running joke before. I mentioned the villains. Oh, so part five, the villains' power, the main villains' power in part five. Apparently, there was like a meme online before the anime came out that like no one understands what his power does which is odd because you watch the anime and you're like it's a little confusing because do you do people care yeah that's might be something i guess people will see or hear it um but the way the power works is like it's only confusing in the anime because uh he changes how it works partway through without <laughs> acknowledging that um do you care if i say what the villain's power is no go ahead okay his power so instead of the way that like oh you haven't read part three yet so you don't know what dio's stand power is um that's a fun one but anyway the way that the fifth one so his power is to jump time ahead 10 seconds and for the i am pretty sure for most of it he is unable to uh, alter anything while time's going ahead. So he might, like, start running towards someone with a punch prepared, for example, and then jump ahead, and they're getting hit in the face, and they're like, wow, what what happened? But then at some point it switches to him being able to you know, be aware of these 10 seconds and alter what's happening. Like, the difference being, like, if someone was to, you know, whatever, you get the sense. So, like, it seems more like something to use to disorient people, kind of, and then it becomes, okay, I can pretty much do whatever I need to do because I can just murder someone in those 10 seconds and then they're dead when the time's up. <laughs> um, but apparently in the manga, it was, like, a big thing where they're like, oh, it's unclear. And I can imagine reading it. It could probably be difficult because you don't um, – because the manga and comic books don't move. You're choosing your pace anyway. So that's a very difficult power to express in static images <laughs> when you're, like, reading it. But this, it's like, oh, someone is – stepping somewhere and then the screen goes Bleh, and then they're like further ahead and they're like how did i get here i was i you know um so i for stuff like jojo where there's kind of a lot of that um and where people will say specifically like there's something in part six that people have been like oh i can't wait to see how they animate the thing <laughs> that happens um so for something like jojo i do sort of see the logic in adapting something and you know like you said adding those extra flourishes and those extra touches it is it is just a cultural thing that's so different where mm -hmm. we just don't have that in the same way yeah i think i feel like the closest thing for us and it's for like such a different target audience but what it reminds me of is when there's a mini series of like pride and prejudice or something like that yeah for those they try to be very close with the story unlike most other adaptations yeah which i mean when you think about it, it's it's odd in general that you know i mean so many things it's it's often so tough when there are different when you're trying to adapt a different medium when you have something like 
so I never read Gone Girl. I only saw the movie. But and I you know I like the movie well enough. But that's one where you definitely are like, oh, this is like a real book book that you adapted into this movie, <laughs> right? Like this is like you have stuff there you can tell and i assume and i think i've heard that like oh there's like pages of stuff that isn't necessarily plot that you're just like well how do we adapt this to screen well i guess she just says it right she just is gonna say it you know while you see her and i feel like the the opposite of that is sometimes people like do an adaptation where they're like okay the dialogue book is the the book dialogue is all of our dialogue and uh, we'll just show only, like, action that's described. And so you miss all the, like, inner thoughts. And, like, when I watched Sharp Objects, I was like, I have no idea what this is about. And then I talked to someone who read the book, and she was like, watching the scenes, I was like, okay, I know what happened because I read the book. Yeah. But that was just, like, someone walks into the kitchen and says goodnight and then leaves, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's a real thing. That's, like, with – um, that's how I felt watching, like uh... – uh oh god which one did i it's like inherent vice or something where you're just like yeah this was okay but this is definitely a book like this is definitely meant to be a book (laughs) and this is very weird that you're like that you you just need to like figure out what you you need to like account for um a different medium and if you can can you get this across like i'd be kind of like when i Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, no, yeah. when I watched the the terrible adaptation of The Goldfinch that I think was, like, had the worst box office performance, like, ever of any yeah. movie. Um, but it was like, I got to the end and I was like, did they establish that he cares about the Goldfinch painting? <laughs> like, I mean, that's like, uh, um, speaking of John Krasinski, I haven't seen brief interviews with Hideous Men, but I have read brief interviews with Hideous Men. And I am, like, so are we going to have the guy who's in inter- is he like star is the guy who's interviewing the hideous men like what like it just feels like it's like have you read or seen um, i've seen the movie it sucks <laughs> it's I, like, yeah it's totally not a movie is that what because like the way it works in the book so is it like um john krasinski i'm having my own personal life troubles but also i'm doing this like documentary project where i interview hideous men is that like yeah, I mean, I will admit I got bored really, really fast, yeah. so I don't totally know. But yeah, it is. It did seem like it was just like vignettes of like guys talking. Yeah. So, I mean, the book you have it skips it in between other essays. They have these, you know, interviews with with men, just you know, saying something, explaining something personal, talking about their life or whatever. Um, and then they have, like, longer essays, which they probably work in, which aren't in that format, which I'm sure they probably work in in some way, where they have, like, uh, the same way that, like, in Watchmen, they have one of my favorite lines in Watchmen is in one of the interstitials where they have uh, an interview with some army guy who worked with Dr. Manhattan, and they say, like, oh, tell us, is Dr. Manhattan, like, a committed capitalist, or could he, like, be drawn over to the soviets and he's and the guy's like well what do you prefer red ants or black ants and the guy's like well i've never thought about it and he's like yeah exactly um and they just have to because that line's so great they just have to have you know some guy on tv and some montage say that line because <laughs> you're like oh, okay but that works better so i'm sure they have like you know there's a whole um 
here's an essay that probably uh, doesn't um, age. I don't know. I, I haven't read it in a while. I remembered thinking it was good. I don't want to. Content warning for uh, for discussion of sexual assault. But there's a, an essay where it's just a person, because it's not actually clear, describing potentially being assaulted and then describing very graphic different details but constantly shifting who they are and saying like oh well i'm a woman what if i told you i'm a woman well okay actually i was a man this happened to me at a frat party okay well what about this and it's something which i i don't want to go to bat for it because you know i don't know i'm sure it's someone playing with something which no matter how well they do it is probably not uh i don't know david foster wallace's life probably something they don't have direct experience of unless i'm wrong um but i at the time i remember being like oh it's interesting specifically because you do not see the person describing it to you and the whole point is them sort of cycling through and you being like oh okay yeah i you're changing this detail and now that does hit me differently um and i have to assume because i'm gonna guess that's a thing a lot of people remember because it's one of the only things i remember from *Breathing Brief Interview these men so i have to assume it's incorporated some way but i can't imagine it being done in a way that <laughs> right? works or is worth doing when the whole point is you cannot know anything but what this person is telling you and that constantly switches um and, and I just don't know. You don't have to adapt everything. That's, like, the weird <laughs> thing is this idea that, yeah. like... I mean, I I feel like I have landed so on, like, the best adaptations are just willing to throw out, like, large chunks, chunks of it and do its own thing. Um, like, uh, The Leftovers. It is weird when you read the book and are like, oh, there is zero stuff in here about going to a different dimension and having a twin yeah. who you have to kill to stop the nuclear annihilation. Like, that's jarring. But it's like, you know, Damon Lindelof was like, the book already exists. Yeah. This is a TV show. I'm going to make a TV show that leaves you with a sort of similar feeling yeah. to what you feel reading the book. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that's something where... You know, I liked, I think The Leftovers, is, I mean, I think the first season's real rough. But after that, the first season, I think, is real uneven. And maybe that's because they were, and I don't know how close it is to the book. Maybe that's because they were hewing closer to the book. But, um, I mean, but that's a sort of thing, right, where it's tougher to, you kind of need to go bigger in some ways because you can't really get a sense of character's interiority no matter how hard you try the same way right. you can in yeah. a book. Right, yeah, you're, like, trying to... Trying to translate a book where, like, the best parts are, like, Nora sitting for hours watching TV. It's like, yeah. that wouldn't make sense to try to do They're, like, just looking at just They're like, all right, uh, so, Justin, uh, right now, these five pages have to go across your face. So, uh, <laughs> you know, can we get a couple takes of that? Um, and so, yeah, so, it, I mean, it, you know, it, it's interesting when you think about what the purpose of adaptation is. And, obviously in our modern society it's more or less to make money but <laughs> even then there are different ways you do it right because 
no one, as you said, like with the comic book stuff, people want to be surprised. No one would be, and, and, and not even just people would be surprised. For a long time, and this has sort of come back around, for a long time the conventional wisdom was, even among fans, because now it's like I think sort of been retconned, speaking of comic terms, to be like, oh, the executives always want to change everything, but the fans wish it was just dedicated. I distinctly remember that people would be like, oh, well, if you adapt so-and-so, you have to get rid of their stupid costume and make it, like, cool. Like, oh, good, <laughs> Batman's cool now. Like, people want it – like, Batman's – I'm sh- – you know, there's, like – okay, the killing joke is, like, pretty, like, ugh, serious. But, like, for the most part, Batman's always going to be goofier than, like, the screen adaptations – um because they're like well we have to ground this in the real world and it's like uh people specifically don't want it to just be the comic book they want like the cool version of it (laughs) um and again now people are being people that that the conventional wisdom has shifted significantly where now people are like no like i want i want think i am happy in guardians 2 yondu gets like his stupid head fin like where was, but I, you know, it's a, it bothers me a little bit that it's now like a artificial head fin. But you know, at least he has his head fin or whatever, <laughs> um, which is so different. And you know, with books, I don't. I mean, I'm trying to think of a. I, I don't think I've ever read a book and then said, "Oh, I want to go see the movie adaptation of <laughs> this book." I've seen movie adaptations of books i've read just incidentally and i've seen tons of movie adaptations of books i've never read but i've never had that feeling of like oh good this is this book i read is gonna be a movie i feel like i pretty quickly like stopped having that instinct like i remember when harry potter came out when i was like 12 or whatever i was like so excited i I must have been younger than that like 10 i was like so excited like lining up there was like a huge line of waiting like three hours to see harry potter and i feel like almost immediately i like sat through it and was like this does not really have anything to offer me it's like this is okay (laughs) yeah that's a good example and that's one that hewed pretty closely and i feel like yeah, I feel like that was an example where, like, people were like, oh, the problem is they cut too much stuff out. Like, no, it, what, what about all this great stuff? And then, like, I feel like when they came out with the ones that were, like, uh, you know, book six is going to be two separate three-hour movies, it was like, no, that was not the problem. It was not just that they cut too much stuff out. It's also because the first half of book seven, and I read this when I was, you know, pretty into it. I mean, I think I remember being pretty bad because it sort of just feels like— I know, like, like that was something that drove me insane was when I with book seven I was like I bet that adaptation will actually be really good because there's a lot that should be cut out yeah. so it's perfect and then they announced it was going to be two movies it has to be two. don't worry it'll be both uh, the entire pointless first 75% will be one movie and we're stretching the last good 25% into its own whole movie and you're like oh it's just the first 75% book is just like and then they were in a tent, and then they went somewhere else and got – it's like reading the Bible. Like it's like – and then Jehoshaphat went to, you know, uh, Canaan, and he got this, and he begat so-and-so. It's just nouns. Yeah, it's – it's in this instance at least, like, I don't know. I just – I can't imagine 
being a person who's like, well, I got to read the manga also. I mean, I did for this podcast. <laughs> right. But it's, it is. It really is. And, like, as much as I love to keep, you know, to come back and cover JoJo more, it it, it does sort of it, – it is sort of tough with the format because you're like, yeah, you know, here's a couple cool things they did, and otherwise we could just talk about it, and it's fun to talk about um, – because I like it a lot, and, you know, wild stuff happens, and I really enjoy it. But it's definitely like, yeah, you know, they did the best job they could adapting this one-to-one. They came, everyone, you know, like, when you look at what people, like, when Part 5 was coming out and Part 6 was being announced, because I, I started watching after Part 4 was done, I believe. So you look at what people talk about, it's like, okay, I mean, genuinely, specifically, like, okay, what are they going to, um, how are they going to animate this thing that was incomprehensible <laughs> in the manga? Uh, what songs are they going to use for the opening and closing? Mm-hmm. Because that those segments, and that's something where they, I think, have very uh, compelling opening and closing segments, and they tend to use, you know, popular songs, or I don't know if popular, but like, um, like the band, I forget the one that does the, every time I close my eyes, I see his face. And Savage Garden. Savage Garden, right. I want you. Come, and they were like, oh, thanks to all the what JoJo fans, whatever that is, who've been tweeting at us about how much they love our song. <laughs> and they do that one in part four where they like introduce, as the characters are introduced, they appear in the ending. And a lot of the intros are like, and I'm sure this is fun for people who've read the manga because they're already spoiled on literally frame by frame everything that's going to happen. <laughs> a lot of the intros in JoJo give away enormous things if you know what to look for. Like they, they'll show you like the whole plot beat by beat more or less and every fight and death that happens, but it's done in a stylized way so you don't necessarily know. Um, so that's the other thing. And then like uh, which um which how are they going to lo- do bad english localizations of the stands cuz out of some <laughs> weird i can't imagine that like i guess they're being extra careful i can't imagine that having them say you know uh like in part 4 like bad company and then it says worse company and like bad company is going to zosha or uh, what's her <laughs> face um from girls not zosha mammoth the other one uh, uh the one who's Dad is the drummer of Bad Company. Is that Jemima Kirk? Yes, thank you. Um, that her dad's going to be like, hey, <laughs> oi, what's all this then? Um, and sue them. So, you know, and they're like, oh, and which, how are they going to localize the names to be absurd uh, knockoffs? That's like the thing people talk about. They don't talk about like, oh, I wonder if they're going to change this. They know they won't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> They don't talk about – I mean, they might – maybe they talk about I, – I guess people who know uh, Japanese voice actors probably get really into who they cast, I'm sure. But, like, I don't, so I kind of just miss that. Um, I think, like, Anya is the one who voices Jolene in Part 6 is, like, a big – jojo fan so that's cool i think someone said like i don't know good for her um yeah i mean that's that's like so so yeah so it does it does sort of uh 
it does sort of defy the format a little bit, even though I would absolutely always be up for doing it again, just because I guess I like talking about it. Um, I don't know if you want to touch base also about uh, Flight Attendant Season 2, yeah. if you've been watching. <laughs> yeah, I watched the first two episodes. Oh, okay. So. We're a little ahead. Um, it's... It's it's weird because it's um they set up like oh now she's gonna be like a CIA agent and it's very much like TV CIA agent where it's like this doesn't seem like what being a CIA agent <laughs> would be at all yeah that's my favorite thing about the the miniseries is like it like being made like a miniseries and then suddenly setting up what feels like a like network procedural at the end. Like I love the idea that there could be like a, a pride and prejudice adaptation yeah. at the end. They're like, Mr. Darcy, do you want to work for her majesty's secret service? Yeah, this is the beginning. We're going to call it MI5. Um, <laughs> I mean, but it, it, you'll be happy to know it quickly, it very quickly just becomes kind of like season one. <laughs> it's like, it very, like, they sort of set up, like, oh, is she going to be doing spy missions? And they're like, nah, she's just framed for a different murder. <laughs> she's got to piece that together. She also, I said this, I tweeted this, but it's about a woman who is pathologically incapable of turning her phone on mute. Like, she, li <laughs> so many times is she uh, just. Yeah, it's like trying to spy on someone and her phone's saying, uh, 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 I need you. And <laughs> TV like, shows love that. Like, that was such a thing in Pretty Little Liars is it's like, how come every time A taunts you, the, there's like a loud notification in the middle of the funeral you're attending? Yeah, turn, uh, silence your phones. It's a, Yeah, it's especially so funny when they do it for like young characters where i'm like i don't think they ever turned the sound on no, in the first never. place once in their life <laughs> she's just she just happens over and over um they got cheryl hines as a cia person uh it's just it's i like um it's it's a real it's really amazing that barry for the most part really manages like you're treading on real thin ground when you're like it's about a hitman because that is like the thing that i feel like every college freshman screenplay <laughs> is like it's a hitman they're so right. haunted but they're whatever and it's like you have no connection emotionally to this you this you, you are not i mean you don't like yes you don't have to write what you know to the exclusion of anything else but like you have no connection to this but he, i mean Bill Hader makes it work. and Yeah, I mean, I think Barry works because, I mean, especially for, like, uh, coast people like us. I don't know how this is for regular people, but just you're like, yeah, people who give up their career to try to do showbiz shit are fucking yeah. stupid. Like, there's that core of it. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's sort of like, it. Were, it's funny because it's like, you know, people always say, like, oh, you know, I don't know if you know this, but politics, much more veep than West Wing, which is, I think, <laughs> genuinely true. Whereas, like, I don't know for sure, but I bet, even though it makes the show very good, I'm sure if you talk to actual Hitman, they wouldn't be, well, you know, it's actually uh, much more veep than uh, John Wick or whatever. I mean, much more Barry than John it's, right. it's much more Barry than John Wick. Like, probably not. Um <laughs> 
there's one thing I don't know if you're caught up. I won't give it away. I'll tell you so it'll be a while. But I know somebody who hasn't watched it, but there's uh there's one thing in the most recent episode that is the mo at least as of recording, the thing with the app, which I won't say in detail. Did you see it? Uh, no. Oh, never mind. Okay, well, there's a thing <laughs> with an app that is by far the most world-breaking thing they've done, and it is really funny, and I'm willing to sort of be like, all right, whatever, this is a show that can sometimes... Like, they did The Karate Family. The Karate Family was so great, and that was probably previously the most world-breaking thing, maybe, but they... they but that's kind of still within... So what it is? This is a thing where you're like, oh, this is this like this specific thing takes place in like, you know, wacky world in a way that like this hasn't yet. But it's so funny that I'm like, I I do really love this at the same time. Um, so you know, if it if it's that good, I guess you can give it a pass. And uh, yeah, but. Yeah, JoJo's. I I really. I mean, we in. I guess plot wise, I don't know how much we want to get into before finishing. I mean, he fights the Pillar Men. Uh, mm -hmm. He the the uh, the way the that he beats the that beats cars is just absurd. At the end, like I mean, they kind of play that up. Um, it's it's you know it's mostly just like oh. Uh, you thought that I had, uh, I didn't, you thought, like, that you cut up that thing I put Hamon in, but really I had another thing with Hamon in it behind you, and that's 90% of the fights. I think it's why he introduces stands, because he's like, yeah, I, I, this well is dry. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. uh, we can wrap up soon. I think the only thing I wanted to say about the books is, or about uh, the show is I just far prefer, prefer uh, Jonathan to uh, the second guy. Oh, really? As um, a, yeah. as a, see, I, I mean, he's, he's much, uh, he's much better as a person. I yeah. like, I mean, I love, I love Jonathan Harker. I think Jonathan Harker is the best part of Dracula and that okay. every adaptation should focus on Jonathan Harker. And if Dracula never shows up, it does not matter. Okay. Um, so the, <laughs> the fact that it's all a riff on Dracula, that's just like, uh, you know, what if, uh, what if Dracula was also a teen boy who's yeah. just like really annoying Jonathan? <laughs> I was like, this is so fun. Um, and then I thought part two was felt much more like generic like action guy stuff where it was like here's a cool guy he's gonna say quips while he fights yeah i guess he is like i guess he's quippy i mean i guess to me it's like it's just because it's so um it's so different compared to the first one that i was like oh i like that he's like brash and rude i mean each of the each of the jojos definitely has a very different personality for the most part like part three jotaro who you see in part four some also is just sort of like very stern but he's and he would be boring except there's parts where he'll kind of just like i i like there's a um the there's a there are two fights so not to give uh, to, not to 
give away the specifics, but there's two fights in part three where um, one of them, they're brothers, and they happen at different times, and they're both done. Uh, they essentially are, like, led into these uh, games, you know, high-stakes games. One's, like, a card game, and one's, like, a video game competition. And one of them uh, has to be won through deception, and one of them has to be won through, like, sheer will of just, like... It's it's probably one of the best moments to me, at least, in part three, where it's just, like, Jojo is just so confident and imposing that even, like, someone who's who's certain that they have the upper hand is, like, well, he, I just, he's so... He's so confident. I can't. I, I must be wrong. Like, there's no. Like, there's no way he could win. But if he's this certain, then I. I guess I. I must. I have to. Uh. Yeah. That's um. And then yeah. What is it? Part four is just kind of goofy and got goofy guy and. Yeah. Who with the hair? That's um, his big thing. The hair. Anyway. <laughs> um. All right. Uh. I feel like we've been talking long enough. Do you want to get into to rating? Yeah. Um, what the, what's the scale again? Uh, just a one to five. Okay, and you rate each one differently, right? Uh, yeah. So we'll just do um, the do part two, uh, and yeah, the TV show and the manga. Yeah. Mm. I'm gonna rate them on scales of, like JoJo. I think I'm gonna give the manga like. I might give it. Maybe I'd give them both a three. I do like it. I think I like it more than you. Um, I I like the stuff. There's some stuff I genuinely... I like that they... Moments like when he tells them, you know, he tells the Pillar Men that, oh, I have... If you just give me a month, I'd be able to get strong enough to beat you, and that'd be a fair fight. So you wouldn't do that. And then they, like, put poison rings on him and are like, all right, you have a month. And then, like, it cuts to him being like, gosh, just a year. <laughs> <laughs> which i love stuff like that just fun um the fights aren't that great they get much better as the series goes on um yeah I know, i'll i'll give them both a three I, the manga is like a 2.8 maybe just because <laughs> i think it's re it's real tough to tell what's happening sometimes right um yeah i'm gonna give the manga a two i found it to be a kind of a slog um for like his art isn't as good as it eventually gets Mm -hmm. in later parts that's definitely um and uh for the anime i'll give it like a 2.5 i definitely think they brought it to life more um the music's really good um some of the animation's good uh but yeah i never really got sucked into to just the whole story i guess um it didn't have interesting enough core relationship dynamics um so yeah yeah give that a 2.5 um okay and then we end on a recommendation um so since you liked the anime a little more um you would be recommending a book and that could also be a comic or a manga Mm, if you want and then also since your ratings were pretty close you could also (laughs) recommend something else i don't care (laughs) um i was gonna say one of the books and 
I'm probably wrong about this. I know they made a movie and a totally forgotten Hulu series of Catch-22. Catch-22 is one of my favorite books of all time. And part of me is like, well, I'd love to see an adaptation of that. And I'm like, would I, though? That really feels like one of those things that's like, oh, Milo Minderbinder works much better as, like, this... I, I, I can't imagine someone, like, doing that well. Um, I read Wolf in White Van recently. I like John Darnielle and the Mountain Goats a lot, and that's uh, good. It's real... It's real... It's it's kind of... Uh, it's kind of tough. Not, like, real... It's almost more optimistic than you think, but it really leads... It's all kind of leading up to... It's It's... It's one of those books that's, like, the opposite of a twist book where you're like, hmm, really seems like, yeah, is this really where? It's, I'll put it this way. It's, uh, this is, the point isn't really spoiler or not because I think you even, I think even, like, the summary kind of says this. Um, It's not just about this, but one of the things it is about is... Uh, I think a lot of people can maybe relate to having like the sort of intrusive thought that's like, oh, the one I always think of is if you're like, oh, on my way out of a college course, I could just like, as I'm saying by the professor, like punch them in the face and just ruin my life. And it's a real heavy one of those of what if you just acted on one of those thoughts you had on a whim and completely altered the change to the track of your life and just like you could have done something different but you did that thing and now this is what's up and it's and just kind of it's real i don't know it's i think it's good but also it's uh you know you might want to be in the right head state (laughs) for it just because uh yeah you're you're real you really close the book going whoosh Um, all right, I'm going to recommend uh, The Wolf's Hour by Robert R. McCammon, which is about a sexy werewolf who Ooh. fights uh, World War II Nazis. And uh, it, uh, JoJo's reminded me a lot of that book. And I think, uh, I think The Wolf's Hour kind of has more fun with the concept. Wolf opinion. not in white van <laughs> in that case. Yeah. Um, cool. All right, you want to do your plugs? Yeah, I'll do them. Um, I'll say, uh, got House of House that I co-host with Lenny. Definitely listen to that. Like, subscribe. Uh, I don't know. Do do the things you're supposed to do. <laughs> um, check out Andrew Taven on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and whatever, and andrewtaven.com, which has a list of the shows I'll be performing. And uh, at some point in the next few months, keep a lookout for Sound Snacks, which is a real fun audio sketch that I worked on with a talented friend and writing partner, Casey Turgeson. And so, yeah, that'll uh, keep an eye out and ear out for that. That'll be a good time. And you can follow me on Twitter at Lenny Burnham, follow the podcast at Chapter Surfing, and uh, look up Major Cast Network to see all their other great shows. Uh, thank you for joining me, Andrew. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And yeah, and thank you for listening, everybody.
Do you want to learn falsehoods? Do you want to learn the not truths? Do you want to go to hell? Join Eric McAdams, Alayam Plotney, and Liam Sr. as they go to hell. We Are Experts <laughs> is a podcast on the Major Cast Network. Each episode, we take a topic we know nothing about and speculate wildly till our hearts content. And then they sort of learn a little bit about the real topic at the end. But not too much. Just a little. Tune into We Are Experts. Wherever you get podcasts, whenever we feel like posting it. Thanks for listening to the Major Casts Network. Stay fun, stay nasty, and stay major.